I'm Chris Reback. This is Investigating Breast Cancer, the podcast of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation in conversations with the world's leading scientists studying breast cancer prevention, diagnosis, treatment, survivorship, and metastasis. We frequently discuss metastasis, which, of course, and unfortunately, is directly related to the overwhelming and challenging role it plays in cancer broadly and breast cancer specifically which is only part of what makes the goal that today's guest has set for herself so audacious. That goal, to understand the origins of metastatic breast cancer and how it evolves. Why would someone set such a standard? As Dr. Martine Picard explained to me, she's frustrated. She's grateful for the advances that have been made to date, for sure, the trials, drugs, therapy approaches, but she also wants more. Like everyone else, she wants to solve metastasis. And to get there, she wants a molecular understanding of the disease. In this outstanding conversation, she explains her passion and how she plans to get there. More about Dr. Picard. She's professor of oncology at the Université Libre de Bruxelles in Belgium and director of medicine at the Institut Jules Bourdet. She's also co-founder and chair of the Breast International Group, which unites some 55 academic research groups from around the world, running over 30 trials and developing numerous research programs. As you'll hear, Aurora, a study to better understand metastatic breast cancer, is the most ambitious of these. Dr. Picard is president of the European Cancer Organization, past president of the European Organization for Research and Treatment of Cancer, immediate past president of the European Society for Medical Oncology, and has served on the ASCO board. She is author or co-author of more than 470 peer-reviewed publications, and among her awards includes the Jill Rose Award, William L. McGuire Award, Umberto Veronese Award for the Future Fight Against Cancer, and the 2013 David A. Karnofsky Memorial Award, among others. Before our conversation, though, an ask from me to you. I hope you like these investigating breast cancer conversations, and if so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you for considering my request. That's it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Martine Picard. Dr. Picard, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Can we start with your career goal? I read that it is to understand the origins of metastatic breast cancer and how it evolves. Now, what really interests me about that is for most of us, but perhaps too many of us, our goals usually center on the end of the journey rather than trying to understand the beginnings. Your mind, or at least your approach, seems to work differently. Why is that? Okay, let me try to explain to you uh, what is behind. So I have been treating women with breast cancer now for 30 years, and uh, I am still very frustrated that we are unable to offer a cure for women uh, whose disease uh, relapses uh, in, in distant organs. So clearly, I've seen progress in the field with the development of some great medications. These drugs uh, allow patients to live longer and live better many times with the disease. But at the end of the day, uh, we don't cure any of these women. And my frustration comes from the fact that um, 
we basically understand nothing about metastatic breast cancer. We don't know why the disease in some patients, for example, comes back in bones and stays there for several years. And suddenly one day, it will go to the liver, the lungs, and obviously uh, become life-threatening. And then in other patients, the disease will immediately uh, attack different organs at the same time. So these patients will present with disease in the liver, in the lungs, sometimes in the brain and in the bones. So our molecular understanding of this disease uh, is minimal. Mm. And the clinical trials run today, the most efficient ones are run by pharma. So pharma is, of course, uh, taking metastatic breast cancer as a kind of laboratory to test new drugs. And this is good. This is essential because this is also why we have better drugs certainly today than the ones available when I started my career 30 years ago. But what I think is clearly missing is the molecular understanding of this disease. And we do have fantastic technological tools to try to understand what's going on, but we have never applied them in a consistent fashion and on very large number of patients because what complicates our job, of course, is that breast cancer is not one disease, but hmm. several very different diseases. And we need, therefore, to, um, to do this study on relatively large subgroups of patients. And so when I had this idea that it was time to do something better for these women, yeah. um, I was extremely lucky that I could very easily convince uh, the Breast Cancer Research Foundation that this was a very worthwhile research project. But you know, when you get money to start something, it helps you to convince other organizations of course. to help you. Of course. So the project is, is the following one. We, we want to study at least 1,000 women presenting with metastatic breast cancer. And what we are going to do for these women, and by the way, the program has already uh, entered more than 800 women. Yes. So it's moving very nicely forward. We want to go back and recuperate the primary tumor, the original tumor in the breast. Then we want to collect tissue from a metastatic lesion uh, in yeah. the liver or in the lung. So the place to where the cancer has traveled. Exactly. And then there is this other fantastic opportunity, uh, which is to just take blood, uh, isolate plasma, and there with these new technologies, look for genetic material that the cancer cells uh, are releasing in the circulation. And now we can, of course, detect this uh, genetic material, uh, distinguish the material from the genetic material that normal cells are also spreading in the blood, and we can then study this genetic material in depth. So we can find uh, aberrations in, in, in the genetic material like mutations. And what the program has, which is really unique, because there has been 
several attempts already to confront uh, the analysis of the primary tumor with the analysis of the metastatic lesion using next-generation sequencing. That has been done by several teams. But what all PCRF-funded program Aurora does, which is unique, is to follow these women through all their sequential therapies mm. to collect the information on whether or not these therapies have been helping or have not been helping. And essentially, we followed all these women until the end. And at each disease progression, we sample blood once more. So we do sequential sampling of plasma to look at the evolution of the genetic material that the cancer cells are spreading. And of course, our hope there is that by studying the longitudinal evolution of the molecular landscape of breast cancer, we might get a better understanding of which changes are driving this metastatic process. And possibly, and that's my dream, we could even design strategies to even prevent the metastatic disease to take place. So for sure, we are going to find more intelligent ways to treat women with metastatic breast cancer. Yes. I'm confident in this. But we might also go one step further and, and start thinking about some clever preventive strategies. So you know that today to prevent the cancer from coming back, we give to many women chemotherapy yes. uh, or endocrine treatment or some targeted treatments. But here I'm thinking that we could become even more specific. Um, and that's what is so exciting about this program. And I can tell you that when we ask women whether they are willing to participate, they are all enthusiastic, even though very often they understand that they might not necessarily, necessarily benefit from the knowledge that you are going to acquire through this program, but they fully understand that it could help possibly their daughters if they get the disease. So it's, it's a very exciting program that was very difficult to initiate because it's a European-based research program where we have the analysis centralized uh, and we have currently uh, over 60 hospitals mm. participating across 12 countries. And so at the beginning, of course, it was difficult. Uh, the physicians got a little bit discouraged because sometimes when you do a biopsy of a metastatic lesion, uh, well, you don't do it well, and then the tissue you get is not usable. Anyway, there were a lot, a lot of barriers. Uh, but after two years, finally, the program started to run smoothly. And today we have every month 20 fully evaluable patients entering the program. So we are now even thinking that we might try to go a little bit beyond 1,000 women, mm. again, because breast cancer is complex and is divided in different entities. And, of course, we want to get solid knowledge about each of these entities. So that's where we are today. So the program is clearly not finished. Uh, we have already done 
an in-depth analysis of the first 381 patients entered in the program. And we are now working on studying the next 300 uh, in depth because you have to realize that we are not only looking at uh, genetic aberrations. Uh, we want to go beyond that. We want to look at uh, the status of the immune system. So we want to study uh, the microenvironment of the cancer cells in the metastatic lesions. Uh, we are also collecting frozen material to do RNA sequencing. So it's going beyond just DNA and trying to finally, perhaps, I hope, understand better what's going and what we can do with these women and to offer them hope. We call the program Aurora because it refers to light in the darkness, a program mm. that will offer hope for the future. That is an Excellent, excellent overview. I understand why you have the end dream that you have, and perhaps you will get there. I understand as well um, the steps in between that you hope and, frankly, it sounds like, expect to reach. There, there's so much that I want to follow up with you on, uh, so many of the things that you just discussed. One of them is your use of the word evolution, because that, that was the image that was coming to my mind as you were discussing the progression and how you are looking at that initial tumor, and then you are looking as well at the lesion, the, the metastasis that has occurred someplace else in the body, and then you're looking, continuing to look as the disease progresses, hopefully does not progress, of course, um, but as the, the, the patient you know, continues to, to go forward. And that sounds like an evolution. And I can imagine that folks may be wondering, so you can describe, in a sense, how metastasis works or that it works. You can describe what happens. The cancer travels from one part of the body to another. I think that folks can understand that it's, you know, that, that we don't have a, you don't have a cure for that yet. Obviously, that's the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Why is it so challenging scientifically to understand the why? So if, if so many, and you talked about that frustration, if so many people are, are looking at this and have thought about it and it is such a, a tremendous challenge, why is the why so hard? Even if we can't fix the why, scientifically, why is it so hard to to get a handle on exactly why the metastasis occurs? Well, well, I will give you my, my personal opinion on this. Yes, uh, please. If you look at the, the research currently done in metastatic breast cancer at all the articles, you will very quickly realize that this research is driven by the pharmaceutical industry. So pharma develop drugs, and then they think about what is the clinical situation where my new drug can really show uh, an improvement beyond what is available today. So that, that approach means already in itself that you are not looking at the evolution of the disease from the beginning to the end. Mm. You are just studying with your new drug 
a certain clinical situation. For example, uh, is my drug better than what is available today after patients have failed a first-line treatment for their metastatic disease? And all the research is done in this way, and it is supported by pharma. So, investigators, clinicians, of course, are desperate about new drugs. They want to go to participate into these trials, and clearly it's important. But the result is also that all the other aspects are neglected. So, nobody has been thinking why are we seeing an evolution that is, at the end, lethal? Why is this evolution taking two years in some women and 17 years in others? So this kind yes. of in-depth thinking has not happened. Mm. And then even if it happens, who is going to pay for that? So there, this is exactly a situation where without foundations like BCRF, we could simply not do the work, even if we were enthusiastic about the work. So I, I think it's part of what I call academic initiatives without commercial interest. There is no obvious commercial interest, at least in the first place. I, I imagine that it, if we find some new things in this program, there could potentially be some commercial exploitation of the findings. But... At first glance, this is uh, a very cerebral program, and I, I'm not sure that too many commercial enterprises would be interested in supporting it. So I think it's understandable that uh, we have not seen this kind of effort happening before. I have seen that some of my colleagues in the UK are doing a similar program for lung cancer, and it's likely to happen for other cancers, but it's just beginning. And at least in breast cancer, I have not found a similar program yet uh, in the world. Well, I'm sure if there were one, you would certainly know about it. Another area that you discussed that, uh, as I have read about you, makes total sense that it's something that you would incorporate into a project such as Aurora, and that is the coordination with multiple doctors and hospitals and countries. Tell me the importance of that. You, you, you have a keen interest. It, it, it seems to me it's in fact part of your core philosophy that to make it, the advances needed um, in cancer, in breast cancer in particular, this is going to be a global and, uh, you know, I guess if not global, certainly a pan-European or a pan-regional, but it's going to be a global effort. It's not going to occur uh, yeah. necessarily just with, with one person. That, that seems to be core to who you are and, and how you approach what you do. <laughs> exactly. Well, there are perhaps two personal reasons for that. One, mm. one is that uh, when I was 27 years old, so I was starting my, uh, my studies um, to become uh, an oncologist, my mother got breast cancer and there I suddenly became aware that there were very important questions regarding the optimal treatment of women with breast cancer that had no answers. And I became impatient. I thought, how is it possible that these essential questions 
have no answers. And then the second reason is that, of course, I'm based in Brussels, so I'm Belgian, and Belgium is a small country. Uh, it is a small country, but it's very open to Europe, as you know, because we have the headquarters of the European Union in Brussels. So I immediately got interested in international collaboration. I started to work for several years with the EURTC, which is a European organization yeah. uh, on the research and treatment of cancer. And, you know, I, I, could, I could really feel the, the power of international collaborations. Of course, it's difficult. You lose time at the beginning because it's cumbersome. The administration is very heavy to get all the countries aligned. But the time you lose at the beginning, you recover so efficiently after. You can really do things so much faster. And I think patients today, they have not a lot of time, you know, to wait for us to become efficient in research. Not at so, all. I am really enthusiastic about international research and and I have indeed uh, been uh, looking for international collaboration during my entire career. You are right. <laughs> yes, it's it's evident in in your history. I I'm I'm curious when you were 27 and you got the news on your mother, were you already in science? Were you already a a researcher, a scientist, a doctor? Yes, I was starting a so I, I was a physician, but I was training, doing my training to become a uh, medical oncologist. Mm. And I was working in, in a lab to do a thesis on resistance to endocrine treatment. Yes, I was already involved. Uh, but I can tell you, I, I got upset because, because there were very important questions such as how many cycles of chemotherapy should my mother receive? And this is a very unpleasant and toxic treatment. At that time, it was not known. And in fact, my mother got a one-year treatment with chemo, which we never don't do anymore today. We, because it has been shown in clinical trials that six courses is, is enough. Then came the question about the duration of endocrine treatment with tamoxifen. So all these questions that are so important for women because of the of the burden of the treatment on your daily life, they, they had no answers. And then I looked and I found clinical trials of a few hundred patients here, a few hundred patients there. All these trials were completely underpowered mm. to answer the question. So anyway, that gave me the idea that I had to create a, a very large breast cancer network, which is the Breast International Group. Yeah, it's an, it's an extraordinary network. The, the last thing that I want to follow up with you on from, from your opening statement and just terrific description of everything that, that is happening, you, you talked about the women's willingness to participate. And I, you know, I can tell you I have heard that in so many of these conversations. There's an altruism almost around the women and the men, yeah. the people who participate in these programs and trials. And it is very much a sense, you know, nobody is uh, um, unaware of the challenges, um, but it's, it's very much about doing this for others. What is it about that community? What, what, what generates that, do you believe, now that you've looked at it for so many years? What generates that sensibility in that sense within that community? That's an interesting question. Of course, uh, I, I am not sure I can give a broad, 
answer because I am only uh, treating women with breast cancer, so I don't know much about other cancers, uh, in particular cancers happening in, in men. But for the women, um, a clear motivation is, of course, that if you get breast cancer, well, the risk for your daughter is there. It, it might not be a huge one if the disease is not genetic, but, but the, the risk is there. And, and that, to me, easily explains that women with this little disease, metastatic breast cancer, have this very strong desire to contribute to something that might make things a lot better for their uh, daughters. So it, it's the explanation that, that I have um, out of my experience, let's say. Yeah, well, well, I do hear about it quite often. You see it, and you see it in the women who participate, and, and it's remarkable. Um, Dr. Picard, to, to close this conversation, in listening to you, I'm struck by what feels to me to be a paradox within you, but you, you'll maybe maybe there's a reason, or, or maybe you'll explain it. On the one hand, you do not seem to be a very patient person. You have discuss, you you discussed your frustration. You're you know you want you you want action. Everyone wants action. You want action, and you you are frustrated. In fact, I came across. I, I have to find it here, but th- there was a quote I found of yours from 2000. 15, um, you said the same thing. Here it is, a 2015 video of you where, where you said you were disappointed in much of the research output because very few biomarkers have been validated for their predictive value. And, and I, I struck, uh, right. I think I, 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 it struck me when I heard it there. It's striking me when I'm hearing it now. At the same time, you are running a project and working on a project, Aurora, that requires incredible patience. You are you are watching a disease within you know hundreds, maybe thousands of people over a period of years in order to work your way backwards to the origins of the disease. So, h- how do you reconcile those two sides of you you that I'm hearing the frustration, the fact that on some level you perhaps, and we're all grateful for this, are not very patient. And on the other hand, you're running and working on a project that requires incredible patience. Ah, that's another interesting question. Um, well, what, what I can tell you about Aurora and what uh, gives me um, a lot of excitement and uh, pro- probably also helps me, helps me to be a little bit more patient, is that, of course, we are not going to wait until we have accumulated all the data uh, on these 1,000-plus women. Um, We are analyzing the material and the clinical data in badges. So already with the first analysis we did, I learned things that I didn't know, and that is what excites me, you know. For example, we found that one in four metastatic breast cancers is displaying alterations in genes that are very important to repair DNA damage. And that indicates that probably we are not using, at least for these 
women, one in four, we are not using the best possible cytotoxic agents that we have to treat them initially. So if you look a little bit at guidelines uh, for the treatment of metastatic breast cancer, you will see that the preferred regimen you should start with is a taxane. Okay, so a general statement, uh, which of course cannot be true because it cannot be that this is the drug that fits uh, the shoes of all the patients. It's impossible. So I'm starting to realize that if we get some better knowledge of what's really going on in the cancer cells, we might become a lot better at choosing uh, the best drugs. And the best drugs, if you have alterations in DNA repair genes, could be, for example, uh, old drugs that we are not too much excited about anymore, like cytoxin. Cytoxin is, is, is a very good drug if you have this kind of alteration. Cisplatin is another good drug. And usually, they are no longer part of the first, even not the second-line choice of physicians. So, you know, the way we practice medicine um, is okay, but I still have the feeling that we could do a lot better. And this program will help us becoming better doctors. Well, I'm sure that it will. You are a great doctor to begin with, and uh, luckily for the rest of us, an impatient one. And so uh, we, we appreciate your lack of patience and, and your drive and your work. Um, thank you. Thank you for the work that you do, and thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. That was my conversation with Dr. Martine Picard. My thanks to Dr. Picard for joining and you for listening. To learn more about breast cancer research or to subscribe to our podcast, go to bcrf.org slash podcasts.